Welcome to Today on Broadway for Monday, April 17th, 2023 on Broadway Radio's Matt Tamanini. And I'm Tell Me on a Sunday podcast, Grace Aki. Grace, you are coming to us from Georgia. I am finally back coming to everybody from Florida. So we are back in the Southeast after you being in New York, New Jersey, and me being in Las Vegas for a week and a half. I haven't shared this story on, on air, although I've told you a little bit about it through text. So... On Tuesday night, I went to the Palazzo Hotel, even though it said Venetian, to see the national tour of six. This is when we all get to learn about Matt's personal life, everyone. When we when we get to hear, uh, we're entering in a hotel and then we're getting six, the musical. I'm like, we're really in the nitty gritty. This is an exciting show to start the week off. It really is. So because I'm me, uh, I got front row tickets for me, my nephew, Joey, and my sister, Katie, to see the show. And... This show is great, and I've talked about this tour many times, so I'm not going to get into all of that. But my nephew is a, is, a, is a quite gregarious young man. He is very energetic and hard to control at times, although he sat through this show, like, barely moved a muscle the entire time. Loved it. He's waving uh, to the queens as they're leaving the stage. Your friend Storm, who plays Anne Boleyn, she waved him and I think gave him a peace sign as she was walking off stage, which he loved and adored and and continued to talk about. Um, But as we get to the car, he has, you know, the iPad in the car for, you know, whatever to keep him occupied. And as we are driving home, he he starts playing a video that is just like, I don't know, like middle school kids singing a medley of six songs on his YouTube kids. He had Googled six, the musical as we are gr- driving home. Uh, and my sister and I are talking and we just hear from the back seat singing. You know, he's kind of doing like the thing where like you sing along, even though you don't really know all the words, you know, like maybe one out of every five words. And then you just kind of make it up as you go along. So it's very cute, very adorable. My very sports minded nephew. I am slowly getting him entrenched into musical theater, and uh, it was one of the most adorable, fun things uh, on my entire trip. I love that so much. That's so sweet. I think seeing shows, especially like six, with young people is probably the best feeling. I want to do that. Yeah, it, it was a lot of fun, and uh, I had a great trip. Uh, now, though, that I'm back, I have to turn my attention to New York because I'm coming in about a month. A, a month from Wednesday, I will be there on the 19th of May, and I have done very little planning. So I need to get on that. Um, I need to start reaching out to press reps and starting to... I've got my spreadsheet, but beyond that, it's very, very few things that I have on my schedule. So that'll be my focus for the next week. Uh, but if you want to hear about all of these things, head over to patreon.com slash broadwayradio, broadwayradio.com slash patreon. Grace, we have a, 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 a number of things going on, but last week on Thursday, we had the opening of Camelot on Broadway from Lincoln Center. This is a much anticipated revival for a certain subset of theater fans, myself included. It, of course, is the show written uh, book and lyric or music and lyrics by Alan J. Lerner and Frederick Lowe. The original book, which has often been said as the weakest part of the entire show, was also by Lerner. And here it was adapted and updated by Aaron Sorkin. It is directed by Bartlett Shear. Obviously, Bartlett Shear does all of the big musicals from Lincoln Center, and he has worked with Aaron Sorkin before. And so this seemed like something that would work really well, especially when you bring in the uh, the political leanings of Aaron Sorkin, having had the experience with the West Wing, to kind of bring in some of those aspects of Camelot as well. The show features on the 
main uh, love triangle of Andrew Burnap playing King Arthur, Jordan Donica playing Lancelot, and Philippa Sue playing Guinevere. The reviews were markedly mixed. Uh, did they like it? Collected a total of 15 reviews. Four were positive, four were negative, and seven were right there in the middle. Jesse Green of the New York Times was negative, saying, quote, Neither, neither content to be agreeable piffle, nor ready to be Sondheim-esque psychodrama, it aims for a middle path, welding Arthur's romantic life with a free-spirited queen to his rethinking of governance and a recalcitrant gentry. Both fail, as does the show, in a way that Brigadoon, the team's 1947 hit, aiming lower, does not. Now, Brittany Samuel, writing for Broadway News, was the opposite, actually, and she was positive, saying, quote, that idealistic ethos is quintessential Sorkin, who, with Camelot, imbues another historical work with gregarious dialogue, broiling romance, and boundless hope for a more just future. The result is an at times dramatically lagging, but consistently polished and warming tale playing out at Lincoln Center's Vivian Beaumont Theater. Greg Evans of Deadline said, quote, If the acting is a shade less satisfying than the singing, it's mostly the result of the production's overall conception. A conception that isn't unjustifiable, just more swing and miss. Now, I'm not going to go into many more of the reviews because that pretty much gives us everything that was a negative, a positive, and a mixed review. Of course, we will have a link in the show notes to where you can read uh, these reviews and more from both the Did, the Did They Like It roundup and the Broadway World Review recap. Um... Grace, you and I have talked about the show a lot. I've talked about how much I'm looking forward to it. You got to go to the press preview to see some of these songs performed. And it just feels like the book is still probably the clunky part. Everybody said hearing especially Jordan and, and Pippa sing is like that, you know, depending on your your willingness to sit through yeah. a pretty long musical, like that's worth going and seeing nonetheless. Yeah, I I can't agree with you more. And, and I still haven't seen like the full production at Lincoln Center because I just attended that press performance. But from that, I knew, OK, this is going to be as Sorkin's writing always is divisive. Um, you know, people that are like, yes, 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 more of that. And then some people probably being like, you know, I either want my old Camelot or, you know, as always, it's really clunky. So this this scans um it's it's just such a wild um kind of like system right now for the revivals especially because everyone is trying to either do the classic do it do it do it or kind of say like hey we're doing it but also this you know so <laughs> i think um this is just you know and, and this is the last one to open up the season correct the last revival yes yeah, yeah. So now we've kind of seen the landscape as far as like what the rest of the year is going to look like, um, especially like around award season, um, given, you know, everyone's, you know, weighing in of it. But um, it is fascinating. And I agree with you. I would sit and watch Pippa Sue sing any damn thing. And Jordan Donica's performance just from that little press preview alone and, and me loving My Fair Lady. I was like, OK, this is going to be really special. So I'm I'm excited to finally see what everyone's talking about. But it's it's definitely it's it's just interesting to me that this was this mixed. I genuinely did not think that was going to happen among the reviewers. Yeah, and it's interesting because the Sorkin of it all is is weird because you think that his audience is very much Broadway theater critic audience. You know, the older, more affluent white people. Like those are people that normally highbrow exactly. wanting. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like you think that his stuff would work, and it makes me come back to the idea is. Is this story, is this not 
Arthur or Arthurian legends in general, but just like, is the story of this Camelot musical, is it just something that because of, of some, something intrinsic in the show itself, like just hard to musicalize, like the songs are great, but the book is just weak. If Alan J. Lerner and Aaron Sorkin can't, can't crack the code, like maybe it's just not crackable in its current format. And if you want to do an Arthurian legend musical, maybe you just have to start from scratch. So I've got two offers. One is rewatch quest for Camelot. It's adorable Two, somebody go find that Bob Goulet because you and I both have fond memories. <laughs> he is dead. We do. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if nothing else, like, can we get Will or, um, you want Will Ferrell. You want Will Ferrell as Bob Goulet. I do. It's exactly what I want. Robert Goulet is what I want him doing that. No no offense to Andrew Burnap, who Robbie Rizal said wears a black version of the Fierro pants, which apparently is a thing that people are going to be looking forward to. So congratulations to everybody who that excites. But anyway, moving on to another iconic show and somebody who wears a lot of black. On Sunday, uh, just a little, I don't know exactly what, I'm assuming it was like a two o'clock curtain, so it's probably still going on as we are recording. The Phantom of the Opera played its final performance on Broadway, and actually there is some breaking news in that because uh, the current Phantom of the Opera, Ben Crawford, is out of the show. He could not perform in the final performance on Broadway due due to a bacterial infection. Longtime Phantom Laird McIntosh has stepped in for the performance. So uh, that's got to suck for Ben Crawford, who I've seen in a number of shows. Yeah, that really broke my heart to see that on the feed just literally moments ago. Yeah. Um, that That is really, really devastating. Ben Crawford is not only an incredible performer, but he's also an incredible Phantom. We talked to you guys about the trio music video on Friday as a recommendation. Mm-hmm. It was beautiful. And it's just, uh, I get it, but oh. Yeah, absolutely. So sad, sad for him. Um, but obviously in the hands of Laird McIntosh, it'll be a great performance nonetheless. Um, but some other things that have come out around the closing original uh, Phantom of the Opera, Michael Crawford penned a really lovely uh, kind of tribute to the show, uh, which we'll have in full in the show notes. Um, there was a- another video I, I want to recommend um that came out, I think it was the Friday evening performance was a benefit performance of the Phantom of the Opera in which they raised $645,000 for four organizations, Broadway Bridges, which is an initiative of the Broadway League, um, Andrew Lloyd Webber Initiative, which is a, a part of the American Theater Wing, the Prince Fellowship, obviously named for the original Phantom of the Opera director Hal Prince, uh, which is through Columbia University, and the Stephen Sondheim Foundation, which I thought was interesting. Obviously, Andrew Lloyd Webber's birthday buddy. Um, But for the curtain call of this, they had a very, very special finale curtain call performance with four different Christine Dyes. It had the current uh, Broadway Christine, uh, Emily Kuachu. She was joined by... Sierra Bagas, who played the role during the 25th anniversary, Ali Ewalt, who played the role on the 30th anniversary, and the original Christine Daae, Sarah Brightman. Um, So that was very, very cool. We have the video of that in the show notes if you want to check that out. And then in, in, in like not breaking news at all, but the first time I've actually seen it discussed publicly uh, Gordon Cox of Variety got an interview with Cameron McIntosh about the closing and got some details about what a return for Phantom will look like he didn't say yep we're gonna be back in six months or a year or whatever but to talk about the fact that the show will probably go on a tour again and it'll be a redesign probably looking like 
what it looks like in London now. Again, things we've talked about quite a bit uh, since this closing was officially announced. And but it was nice to actually see Cam Mack like own up to it and say like, yep, this is kind of the plan. So uh, lots of fandom stuff we'll have in the show notes if you want to check all of that out. And of course, our heart goes out to all the phantoms fans out there. How do they say that, Grace? Is it fans like P-H-A-N-S? Is that the the nomenclature for the for the diehard phantom fans? I think I think that's it. I think that's it. Yeah. Uh, Phantom is not the show. I think that anybody here on our hosting panel, especially Ashley, I'm kind of glad she's not here today because uh, we don't need uh, any of that uh, anti ALW juju on the episode today. I don't think it's our favorite show, but like I know I have a lot of friends who just absolutely live and die by this show. And I think it's probably very similar to like me with rent. Like I can look at rent and be like, it's really not that great of a show. The music is great, but it's, you know, this got some holes, but I think it's just when that hits you in your development and your formative years as a musical theater fan. And for a lot of people, Phantom is that show, whether they saw it in New York or saw it on tour. And it just means a lot to them. So my heart goes out to them, Grace, uh, even if it's not necessarily the show that I love as much as they do. Yeah. My earliest memory is that my sweet, I mean, cousin aunt, you know, when a family member is just kind of all of those things. Um, Leslie was the, uh, was a, uh, swing in the show on Broadway. Um, yeah. Uh, and I would just would have loved to have seen her in it. This was eons before I was even on this planet. Um, but I think, you know, um, it just holds a very special place in a lot of people's hearts. And I deeply, deeply respect that admiration for especially a piece of musical theater history. All right, real quick, let's get into what's going on this week on the Broadway. We have three openings coming up over the next week and a show beginning previews off Broadway. We'll run through those fairly quickly. First, coming up on Wednesday, which is April 19th, we have the Broadway opening of Peter Pan Goes Wrong, the latest show from the Mischief Theater Company. Uh, As we talked about before, it has a special guest sitting in for just started last week on Tuesday, running through the end of the month on the 30th. That is Neil Patrick Harris playing Francis, who is essentially, I think, the narrator. And as he joked about in the press release, just kind of sits there and reads, which I'm sure is an exaggeration. Uh, but having him in there, I think, is very cool. We, will, of course, have all the reviews for that one. Then coming up the next night on Thursday, man, a show that I cannot wait to see. It is the Second Stage Theater Company's Broadway production of Larissa Fast Horse's play, The Thanksgiving Play, which originally ran off Broadway a few seasons ago, directed by Rachel Chavkin. The cast is absolutely insane. Uh, Darcy Carden, Katie Finneran, Scott Foley, Chris Sullivan... And uh, I can't wait to see this. I've heard nothing but absolute raves for this. It is currently scheduled to run through June 4th, although I feel like if this gets some Tony love, that could extend uh, beyond that date. Then also on Thursday, April 20th, we have the first Broadway preview performance of Shadowland at the Public Theater. This is a show that actually began as an audio play uh, from the Public Theater, I believe, during the pandemic. It is written by Erica Dickerson Dispenza and is directed by Candace C. Jones. As Hurricane Katrina begins her ruin, tensions between duty and desire surface. A levee is brought to its knees and Ruth must wrestle with all that she's ready to let go. Shadowland is a lyrical meditation on legacy, erotic fugitivity, fugitive, let me say that again, erotic, erotic fugitivity, how do you say that word, fugit, fugitivity, okay, erotic fugitivity and self-determination, that's a word that I've never heard before, Grace, fugitivity, um, but exciting, uh, I, I love to see that the, the public is sticking with some of the things that it's done 
in other mediums and bringing them to the stage. This one is currently scheduled to run through May 21st. And then next Sunday on April 23rd, we have a third Broadway opening of the week. And this is the Olivier Award winning uh, production of Prima Facie, which stars uh, Jodie Comer in the really the only part in the entire show. It's a one person play written by Susie Miller and directed by Justin Martin. Uh, Jodie also, of course, won the Olivier. So I've heard people say, Grace, that like despite all of the accolades that it got in London, when they saw it, it's they still weren't prepared for how good and how special of a performance and a show it was. I think our friend Ashley Hufford said that. So excited to see this one. It is currently scheduled to run through June 18th. I don't know what Jodie Comer's shooting schedules are for TV or film, so don't know what the potential for uh, extensions are with that, but obviously something that will be front and center probably with a lot of the Tony discussion coming up in the next few weeks. All right, let's get into some other news here. Last week, uh, President Biden kind of revived the President's Committee on the Arts and Humanities and named a number of pretty big names to uh, to the council, including it's there's 24 total people, including some folks that are involved uh, in theater and on screens that we all know and love. Um, the the big names, as far as I'm concerned, are of course Anna Devere Smith, Kerry Washington. Jennifer Garner, I just watched the first episode of her new Apple TV Plus show, The Last Thing He Told Me, I think is the, the, the name of it. I read the book. It's very good. Um, but that she's uh, on it as well. Troy Kotzer, the recent uh, Academy Award winner from CODA, is in there. And Shonda Rhimes, who is one of the best. I absolutely love everything Shonda Rhimes does. Um, so more information on that as well. Lady Gaga is in there too, although she doesn't have a direct theater connection. She's kind of theater adjacent. She as went far to NYU. Concerned. No, no, no. She went to NYU for theater. That girl gets a, a medal of honor in some capacity, right? Yeah, that's fair. Totally fair. When, <laughs> when did she come to Broadway is my thing. Oh God, on her terms, that's for damn sure. That girl's gonna say, This is it. This is my this is my residency. And then we just have to accept it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there were those discussions, like very public discussions of her playing Fanny Bryce at one point, uh, not too too long ago. That with Rosie, right? With Rosie. Yeah, Rosie was gonna play her mom. But anyway, uh George Clooney's also on there. Uh Joe Walsh from the Eagles is on there and, and some other folks, but uh seems like a pretty pretty good list of people. Um, all right, moving on. PBS has set their great performances Broadway best schedule for the next few weeks coming up starting in uh, in May. We are going to see on uh, it's, it starts on uh, May 12th with celebrating 50 years of Broadway's best with just a slew of folks doing uh, performances. Sutton Foster, Corbin Blue, Donna McKechnie, Robin Herter, Sarah Bareilles, Cheetah Rivera, Shoshana Bean, Rola Esparza, uh, Lettucey, Norm Lewis, Rob McClure, Matina Miller, Stokes, Jesse Mueller, Mamie Paris, Solea Pfeiffer, Jessica Vosk, Vanessa Williams, and more. Then we have the Shakespeare in the Park performance of Richard III coming up on May 19th, starring uh, Denai Guerrera and Ali Stroker. Then uh, the Anything Goes, speaking of Sutton Foster, from London on May 26th. We'll wrap up that week. Uh, of course, have more details about all of that in the show notes. And we will wrap up the show with some feel-good recommendations. Grace, I don't know, because of your traveling and being in in in, in Georgia, have you seen these images that John M. Chu sent out via social media? Of you mean, first- did I turn up the brightness? Do you mean, did I turn up the brightness on the John M. Chu tweeted photos? Of course I did. Nothing could stop me. <laughs> he he sent out pictures yeah. of Cynthia Erivo as Elphaba and Ariana Grande 
as Glenda. Um, and as you mentioned, they're dark. They are shot from very far away. They are hard to see. I actually texted a friend of mine who is working uh, tangentially on the film. She works for Universal. And I said, but why are they so dark and so far away? She just kind of laughed and didn't have an answer one way or the other. But it's like, they're great pictures, but I need to see more of them. It's very, very dark, but very, very cool. Well, we're also getting more flutters of the uh, Glenda dress. I just want to say that out loud, right? We're getting some more body to the alphabet or the uh, the Glenda dress. We we were excited. We we're seeing some extensions on Ariana, which is nice to see. Um, I want to see more, obviously, but I am getting some good scalloping on that dress, and that's I'll take it. And then this came out on Friday, and it's it's theater related, so I'm like I feel okay bringing it up, but it is a little out there. And you, Grace, you feel to me like somebody who, if you're not like somebody who watches It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, like you feel like somebody who should be. Are you a are you a Sunny in Philadelphia fan? I am not a diehard fan, but I am a fan. So you're not wrong. I'm a huge Charlie Day fan. <laughs> yeah, and 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 Danny DeVito, your date for many red carpets. Danny DeVito, my husband. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, okay, one of the stars of that show is Rob McElhenney. He is good friends with Ryan Reynolds. They co-own uh, Wrexham FC, the football club. There's a TV show about it, blah, 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 blah. Rob McElhenney's birthday was on Friday. So what Ryan Reynolds did for his birthday is he made this entire music video uh, to sing happy birthday to his friend, except for like he didn't sing happy birthday. He had an original song written and he's singing it and it's like a music video. And as I'm listening to this thing, I'm like, oh, this is a really good song. Like this is actually like normally when you see these, they're just cheesy, not very well written. I'm like. This is a really good song. Like, it's funny. It rhymes. It's got an interesting scansion. Like, this is good. And then as they're like having people dancing and I'm like, is that Andrew Keenan Bolger in there? And it is Andrew Keenan Bolger. And then all of a sudden you see Ryan Reynolds singing and then it all kind of came together. He's singing at a piano with Bench Pasek and Justin Paul. So I was like, yeah, there it is. (laughs) Pasek and Paul wrote it. Makes sense. Really good. Of course, they wrote the music for Spirited, which was the Christmas movie that the aforementioned Will Ferrell and Ryan Reynolds did for Apple TV Plus last year. Uh, But it was very good. It's very fun. Has a theater connection. Uh, I love Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney. So um, that's my feel-good recommendation. Very, very tangentially theater-related, but I, uh, I enjoyed it nonetheless. All right, that's all that we have for today. Thanks for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Broadway Radio. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at BWW. Matt, Grace, where can people find you? You can find me on all forms of social media at It's Grace Aki. All right, everybody. Have a wonderful Monday, a wonderful week, and we'll be back to talk to you tomorrow.